chapter number 9, beginning verse number 24. And if you got your scope for the Bible, page 915. Next Wednesday night is vacation of uh, 4th of July week. We will not have Wednesday night service next week. That is one of those days that we do not have service. So next week, next Wednesday night, we will not have service. The following Wednesday night, for those of you that have kids, we will not have Patch Club. The first two Wednesday nights in July, we will not be having Patch Club. The second Wednesday, we'll be taking some young people to Youth Congress. And, um, and so we will not be having Patch Club, and we want to give the workers a break as well. So the, for two Wednesday nights now, they'll be having the Patch Concert Sunday night. And uh, we'll need your help to get all their, their clothes to dress uh, Sunday morning and bring them back dressed, ready to sing. And uh, so, very busy day Sunday, leadership class and, and uh, baptizing and, and Lord's Supper and preaching and preaching and preaching. Amen? We got a lot going on. And, uh, but for the first two Wednesday nights in July, we will not have Patch Club be starting a brand new series on July the 16th, okay? So you keep all that in mind. Daniel chapter 9 verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and, and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, all of that's in one verse, in a capsule. Of all that God's doing, it's amazing. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And to the end of the word, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause a sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abomination he shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined determined shall be poured upon the desolate. The pinnacle of promise, of prophecy. The pinnacle of prophecy. You could title this looking into God's calendar. Let's pray. All right, Brother George, you pray. Oh, yes. Amen. The text has been considered by most, the most important passage in Daniel. 2,000 years, Christians have debated over certain things that are said here. Liberal scholars have tried their very best to late date Daniel 
in order to remove the unity of predictive prophecy. They, they want to say that the book was written um, after all these events took place and made to sound like it was written before. Well, let me just say this. Praise God, it stood the test of time and God put it down exactly the way it was right. If you understand these verses, you'll have a pretty good understanding of the future. Um, I've got to believe, when, when Gabriel got to the point of anointing the most holy, uh, Daniel knew what it meant. He knew he was talking about the Messiah. I've got to believe that he got excited. I believe he knew that he was the, the one the people had been waiting for ever since Genesis 3.15. The one that had been promised through the Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. The one the, Holy Test, the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to as a lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. Literally, literally, that Messiah was the ultimate hope of every Jew. Every young Jewish girl that had a, had a baby boy, she would wonder, is this the one? Is this the Messiah? Is he going to be the one? So you got to understand, uh, Daniel, these words meant, uh, were, were tremendous. Now, now let me say again, the, the church is nowhere mentioned Daniel never saw the church. He never saw the church age. He never saw any part of it. Uh, you get to heaven, you say, Man, Daniel, what did you think about the church? He'll say, what church? He never saw it. God never let him see a bit of The book of Daniel is literally a book of God dealing with the Jewish nation. And by the way, you say, What's that? why are we even talking about it then? Because God's time clock is that little old nation in the center of the world. God doesn't move His time according to America or Russia or Japan or China. He does according to that little nation called Israel. They are His time clock. So let's look at this. First of all, we see 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now, in this verse, he gives you six prophetic promises that God is going to do for the nation of Israel. Let me just say this. None of these have been done yet. Not in the, as a nation. Number one, to finish the transgression. Number two, to make an end of sin. Now, you say, behold it. He made an end for sin for us. Yes, He did. But not for a nation. For the Jewish nation, they've not got this yet. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up the vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy. When God begins to do... When it was speaking to Daniel, He said for 70 weeks... This thing is going to be determined. And these six things will be fulfilled all regarding nation. Now there's a few Jews getting saved and um, 
but for the most part, the majority of them are still in a spiritual blindness regarding Jesus Christ. And so he comes now. When we, when we get into Bible prophecy, God uses a lot of symbolism. And, uh, especially concerning time in prophecy. In Revelation 3, he talks, in Revelation, he talks about time, times, and half time. And if you know any about Bible prophecy, you know that relates to three and a half years. A week in Bible can mean seven days. Or it can represent a period of seven years. And 77s describe 70 weeks of years. And if you do all the math, and by everything I've read, there's one thing they're all in agreement in. It comes up to 490 years will pass before God's purpose for Israel completed. Now, if you... Now stay with me now, because I don't want to get complicated, but there's a great truth I do want you to see here. Exodus chapter 20 and Leviticus 25. Exodus chapter 20. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou should do not do any work, thou, nor thy sons, nor thy daughters, thy manservants, nor thy maids, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. Now, let me just stop here and say this. We don't keep the Sabbath. Sabbath was never given to us. But may we be reminded, God did give us a seventh day, the Lord's day, and if the Sabbath was important, then the Lord's days is important to him as well. Amen. But notice Leviticus 25. And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years shalt thou sow thy field, and six years shall thou prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land. A Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. Now, here's where history gets real interesting. Jeremiah 34. 13, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bond, saying, At the end of seven years, let you go every man his brother in Hebrew, which had been sold unto thee, and when it served thee six years, thou shalt let him go free from thee. But your fathers hearkened not unto me, neither inclined their ears. Verse 20, and I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of them that seek their life. And their dead bodies shall be for meat unto the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the earth. Second Chronicles 36, 21. 
to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. They disobeyed this commandment. Here's what God said. God said, I'm going to give you six days to work, to make a living. But he said that seventh day is a Sabbath. Now, it's not just, it's not just about not working that day. It is a day they were to set aside and worship and thank and praise the God of heaven. It is a time they were set aside and thank God for the six days he's given them. He comes in Second Chronicles. He says, when you get the land, he said, I want you for six years. And on the sixth year, he made the crops so bountiful they had enough to last them an entire year and never sow the fields. But here's what they said. Man, what a bounty in that sixth year. So there's no way we can afford not to plant the seventh. And so they did. And until they disobeyed this commandment, until they built up a 70-year debt of Sabbath years. 490-year debt. It is amazing, but if you begin to read, you will find God put them in captivity exactly the number of days that they took from God. I, I'm, I, I'm being very honest with you. There was a day when people didn't open stores on Sunday. I remember a day grocery stores didn't open until 1 o'clock. I remember a day you never saw nobody mowing grass or doing nothing else. How many of you remember those days? Amen. I remember those times when the Lord's Day was honored. Now I know we don't keep the Sabbath. I understand that. But if I read my Bible correctly, that Lord's Day it's a day set aside for the Lord. And yet, what we have done, we've taken that day. And I'm not so sure. We ain't building up a debt. And God may say, I'm going to collect that debt and not let folks attend church. I'm not so sure sometimes God don't do that. I was, I was reminded and thinking about this and and um, never tell you who it was, but many, many years ago, uh, I visited a man and he told me, he said, you know, for 20 years, he said, I got out of church for 20 years. And, uh, and uh, but he got back in church, got right with God. God was using him. But it was almost amazing. He died 20 years before his time. You say, is that the reason? I don't know. But sure was something to think about. God promised him 70. He died at 50. 
So I'm not so sure God didn't collect on the debt. And, uh, and uh, you said, I don't know, but I know this much. Israel here accumulated this debt. And so God collected on him. Now in Daniel chapter 9, the first 19 verses, I thought it's interesting. Daniel's reading Jeremiah, and all of a sudden he realizes that, that Babylon uh, is exiled, and uh, make up our son. I, I don't mind, folks. Don't, don't sleep on me. Amen. You go to sleep, the rest are crying well. Daniel's, uh, Daniel's uh, reading Jeremiah, and he's praying, he's confessing their sins, and all of a sudden he says, and the answer comes. And he said, well, good news, Daniel. Your prayer's been heard, and your people's going to be going home soon. But then God shows him the entire picture. And he begins to realize that God, this thing is really big. 49 years of rebuilding. 400 solid years between Malachi and Matthew and 34 years or 33 and a half years of Christ being cut off after 483 years total. You'll find God begins to show him the whole picture of what he's going to do in that 70 weeks. Now, when we come to verse 25, he says, now, the first 69 weeks, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem to the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. Now that 70 weeks, if you will, was 49 years. And that was from the time of Nehemiah's day. You remember when Articus, uh, our, our, our exorcist, whatever I pronounce his name, he allowed Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Even Nehemiah himself said that the walls would be built in troublesome times. And he goes back and he rebuilds the walls. From that moment until the time, uh, to the end of the Old Testament was the first 49 years. This 69 weeks here is divided into two segments. Seven weeks or 49 years from Nehemiah to the Old Testament. Now, the second, the second seven years is from the time that, that to the, uh, the ministry of Jesus to the end of it. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, most believe that Christ was born sometime near the end of the 69 weeks. And uh, matter, matter of fact, that the term cut off means to die in an execution-style death after the 69 weeks has ended. A man by the name of Robert Anderson, he done an exhaustive study on this. And uh, Daniel 9, when he's talking about years, he's talking about Jewish lunar years of 360 days each. And when he put it all together, he was, he was amazed to find that the 69 weeks ended on the day 
Jesus made that triumphal, triumphant entry. You remember the donkey, the branches, the, the shouting. When he made that ride into Jerusalem, the 69 weeks ended right there. That's where it stopped. Now, he comes to the last week. After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Hallelujah. Jesus didn't die for himself. Praise God, he died for us. Amen. The, sin, the sinless died for the sinner. The pure died for the unpure. The godly died for the ungodly. And I, the, the innocent died for the guilty. And I say amen for that. Not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. Now, after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. The Antichrist, when he comes on the scene, will destroy the city, the sanctuary. And the end, the Bible says, will come in like a flood. And uh, this Antichrist, we've seen, we've seen him already. The little horn in Daniel 7, the small horn in Daniel 8, the willful king in Daniel 11, the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians 2, and the beast of Revelation 13. So we come to the last week. Now, Gabriel singles out it from verse 27. Because in that last week, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, we're talking about seven days. I mean, seven years here. Week here represents years, seven years. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause a sacrifice, an oblation to cease. It describes a time when the church is raptured out. And it is a time that the moment the church is raptured out, the Antichrist will step on the scene. As a matter of fact, I believe this. When Jesus says, come up hither, this man will be prepared, groomed. He'll be ready to step up and answer any question and every question that everybody has. And almost immediately, now it'll be a false peace, but immediately he will calm everybody in the entire world with his speech. He will be one powerful individual. And in the middle of that week, I believe they'll start building a temple. One of the first things that's going to happen will be the temple will be rebuilt. I've told you several times, I believe it's going to be built on the Temple Mount. Well, there is a Muslim temple now. What happens to that one, I don't know. I don't know how God's going to do that. It might be a bombing. It might be an earthquake. There are scientists that say right now that there are faults underneath that temple dome right now and that it is, that it is a prime position for a major earthquake, that there's faults that runs under that thing, you know. So... I, God might just shake it. Everybody he wants to do it. He ain't got any problem moving it out of the way. And the temple's going to be built in that first three and a half years. And in the middle of that week, he's going to step up 
And he's going to demand to be worshipped. But there's something interesting here, and I love this. There is a gap between that 69th and 70th year. Daniel never saw it. It's lasted now about 2,000 years. It's called the church age. Israel said, crucify him and let his blood be on us and our children. And the Lord turned and moved to a Gentile race of people. And I'm telling you folks, we ought to shout over that. God would have Israel was on the rails uh, and, and doing God's, for, for God's great business. And the nation said, no, Christ, we don't want you. So God just moved them to a side rail and parked them for 2,000 years. And for 2,000 years, the church of a living God has been riding them rails. Amen? Romans 11 talks about the wild olive tree, the Gentiles being grafted into the tree of God's eternal purpose. And one day, but, uh, and, and God put us, and God right now is dealing. I, I don't know if you know this, but the greatest hour to be born and live is now. Right now is the greatest hour. You say, why? Because we can be saved by grace through faith. But whenever God is done and the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled, then God's going to put Israel back on the tracks and God's going to be dealing with this nation one more time. See, God's not sidetracked her forever. And so, Gabriel passes totally over this thing. And then in the middle, the abomination of desolation. We've talked about that. He'll make sacrifices. He'll offer a sow. I was reading one article where uh, it is believed uh, Articus Epiphanes went in and he is a, a, a forerunner or a type, offered a sow, took all the inward parts and just scattered them all over the temple and desolated that thing. But this Antichrist is going to come up and put his image up. He's going to demand worship. He'll stop the sacrifice of the Jewish people. And he made it. Now, let me just throw this out. I'm convinced that it is probably here in the middle of that week where the mark of the beast will become a mandatory thing. I think it's going to be, I think, and if I had the time, I was just going a lot more details, but I don't. But I believe in the middle of that week, one of the things that's going to be, it's going to move for the first three and a half years, it's going to be something volunteered. Identity is going to be the most important. When you take thousands of people out of this world at one time, What's the thing that they're going to try to do is identify identity. They will institute this thing of putting identity on the person. Once they've identified you, they'll put it on your person. Now, it's, it's, it's just really... Come, they'll put it here or here because this place and this place, the temperature in your body stays more level, more constant than anywhere else. I think most people would take it there. 
because it'll be all of this chaos and so identity. But by the time he moves in for the abomination of desolation in the middle of that week, I think then it will no longer be a, a, a volunteer thing. I believe it will be a mandatory thing. And if you don't, they'll cut your head off. The form of capital punishment during the, during the tribulation will be beheading. If I had time, I, I could show you that. But it, it'll be beheading. And so in that time, it'll come, and I believe in the middle of that week, the mark of the beast will become part of that. Now, let me give you tonight, just these last ten minutes, a very few practical truths. I, I love prophecy. And... Uh, I think it's interesting and God's so accurate. But I've said this before. The danger and the criticism that I have with all prophecy is this, that the prophecy gets bigger than the God of the prophecy. And I don't believe anybody, nothing ought to get bigger than the God of the prophecy. Sometimes we, how many toes is on that beast and how many hairs is in his nose and all this kind of stuff. And we miss the God of the prophecy. So I don't think we're going to miss the God of this. So where's he at? Well, let me give you a few practical things. Number one, the sovereignty of God over the details of history. Nothing happens by accident. All things work together to fulfill the divine purpose of God has ordained the, the sovereignty of God over the details of history. God has never said, uh-oh. Nothing has ever surprised him. He has to change nothing about us. Nothing. I mean about himself. We got to do the changing, not him. He never changes. There is, there is absolutely no time he has ever been or ever will be a sum total God. The sovereignty of God is monumental. Number two. God is not finished with the Jewish people yet. Romans eleven twenty six promises that when Christ returns, all Israel will be saved. The greatest revival in history is yet to be seen. Zechariah thirteen six. Oh, I love this verse. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer. Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Zechariah is a prophetic book to the nation of Israel. And God is not done with that nation. Let me help you here. Uh, one, of, one of the most damning things that we as a nation will ever do is turn our backs on the nation of Israel. The day we stop being her ally, we are in major, major, major trouble. We are in monumental trouble the day we turn 
we turn against the nation of Israel because God is not done. Number three, the absolute truthfulness of God's holy word. Daniel prophesied this hundreds of years before it ever took place. And guess what? It happened exactly, exactly, exactly just like God said it would. Oh my goodness. I, I was sitting with a, a uh, fellow and, he's a, and I, liked the, I liked the dude pretty good. He's a very generous man, very kind man. And, uh, and uh, so we were just sitting there talking. And all of a sudden, he got on this uh, about the King James Bible. And, uh, and I knew where he was going. I, I, I'd heard that all in college and I'd heard that all in school. And, and, uh, and he started wanting to debate the King James Bible. And uh, I finally looked at him. I said, you know, buddy, I'm I, I, just going to be very honest with you. I believe it's God's in our word for an English-speaking people. I believe it's the word that God's given us. And um, I just don't think there's no debate about it. Because I believe it is God's word for an English-speaking people. The absolute truthfulness of God's word. Number four. The unsettled course of this present age. Look at this way. We should not be surprised when we hear of wars in many places. We, 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 sh- we shouldn't be alarmed with that. You know why? Because there'll be no peace until the Prince of Peace comes on the scene. There'll be no peace. No matter how many soldiers, now listen, no matter how many soldiers, how many battles we fight in the Middle East, now don't miss this, they're not going to quit fighting until the Prince of Peace shows up. They're not going to quit fighting. They're descendants of Ishmael. The Bible says Ishmael was a wild man. And every man's hand, he was against every man, and every man's hand was against him. They've been fighting all their life. And I don't care how many soldiers we send over there and do, they're still going to be fighting. And so, the unsettled, because there'll be no lasting peace until the Prince of Peace himself returns. Number five, I think. The importance of knowing Jesus Christ. The most important thing in this world tonight is knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you don't know Him, I told, I told Adam back there, I said, Adam, son, you made the greatest decision of your entire life yesterday. You gained heaven and missed hell. And the greatest thing you and I possess here tonight is a Savior. Oh my goodness, we're running, we're running the world, we're running for this, we're running for, we're, we're trying, we're trying to chase every, every, everything we can get our hands on. And I'm telling you, one day God's going to set fire to it all. And it's all going to burn up. 
Oh, the, tonight, to know. Because if you don't know Him, you'll miss the very reason for your own existence. He alone is the way of life. He alone can take us to heaven. And apart from Him, there's no salvation. He's the promised Messiah for Israel, but He's the Savior to all those who put their trust in Him. Not only that, He's he's the only one that can meet the deepest needs of every man, woman, boy, and girl. I'm just amazed at that. You may not be able here tonight to verbalize it, say it. There's, There's probably a good chance that every person here has a need of some kind. It might be so so deep in your own heart that you would never, never verbally say so. But you know it's there. And there's a good chance that you don't know what to do with it. Oh, I, I heard a message this past week on... I didn't know. That's the title of the message. I didn't know. Oh my gosh, what a message. But you know what? There's not anything he doesn't know and there's not any need he can't help you with. And tonight, you can bring it up here. Can I encourage you to do something? Leave it. How many times we bring a need and then we, and, and we, and we make a few steps and then we run back and pick it up and, and take it with us. Now I know that I've I, I I passed a long time now. I, I know a little bit, not much, but a little. I know this. Some people like their fight. Some people they got something to fight. They don't know what to do. But oh, tonight you have a, a, a need. He alone can meet that need. May I say, He alone can forgive your sin. He's the only one. And so tonight. I, I'm so thankful Adam got saved yesterday. I'm thankful little old Caden got saved. Amen. I'm thankful the other Wednesday night her daughter got saved and come to know Jesus. And tonight I gotta ask you a question. Do you know him? I'm not it's it's, it's we're too late in the day. We're too close to Jesus coming to not be certain about your salvation. We're we're too late in the day. We're too late in the day. If you're not certain tonight, I'd run to an altar. And I'd ask Christ to come in my heart and save me tonight. I would. Because we're too late in the day. Let's all stand.